The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Looking forward to getting into the Word this morning, and I've always come to expect great things uh, no matter what, but I can tell you some of the most uh, powerful and effective meetings have have taken place in my life in very small venues. Uh, So I look at that and see it as a very strategic time for God to minister individually, and I want to encourage you to take that on yourself as we get into the Word this morning. Uh, If you're taking notes, I want to give you a few things to look forward to, and as we, uh, we get into that together... These are items that you'll see as we get into the Word, items that maybe uh, you'll uh, uh, stay engaged looking for and we'll anticipate together. Uh, But the first one on the list here is why you don't have to be afraid. And I don't mean like why nothing will ever startle you or make you jump. I mean, you know, you open up the shower curtain, you see a spider. Uh, That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that paralysis that comes through a, a magnificent manifestation of anxiety that comes all at once. And, and there are a couple of times in my lives where, I, in my life, excuse me, where I think I've witnessed, uh, you know, fear in a, a different level. Now, one of these times is self-inflicted. It's kind of my own fault. In fact, most things that have ever happened in my life are self-inflicted, right? Uh, so, was on a, a trip, a traveling, and and was not heeding the voice of my wife, which is bad news for any guy, right? So, if your wife ever asks you to to do something, you should pay very close attention to that. Well, I get a little bit obsessive, and I had a vision for something, okay? So take an obsessive man, give him a vision for something, and you've got a, a, a real monster on your hands, right? It's, a, it's kind of like laser-focused, can't break uh, uh, concentration, and you stay uh, devoted to whatever activity is present. Well, this activity was collecting, and uh, I think a stronger word for that would be hoarding. Is that a good word for it? Okay, so we're on this trip, and I'm thinking... I'm going to bring back something to remember this trip. And I asked my wife, I said, hey, honey, what would you think if I were to dig up, you know, a small pine tree from up here in the mountains and bring it home? And she agreed to it. So technically it's her fault, right? She said it was okay. Well, I proceeded to, if I could pick it up, it was fair game. And and at this time, you know, there's a reason why I needed to have some shoulder surgeries. I was picking up some pretty big items. Like, they, I, I think technically once a rock gets to a certain size, it becomes a boulder. So in my world, if I can pick it up, it's not a boulder, right? So she's saying you were bringing boulders home. And I'm thinking, no, not bringing boulders home. They're pretty good-sized rocks, you know. And then I, I proceeded now to move to the trees because I had this vision. I was going to bring a little bit of the mountains to my own home. And I wanted to go outside, you know, and, and, and in the morning when the dew was, was kind of smell the pine, you know, I had this picture. So I dug up a, a few trees. I think it was about four. The average height was six to seven feet, you know. She was picturing like little saplings. And to me, you know, when something ends up being over 100 feet tall, if you get it at six foot, you got it when it was small, right? I mean, come on. So... I dug up these trees. We had them strapped all over the car, man. I had them tied down. It was a work of art. In fact, the the vehicle, I'm sure that we had exceeded, you know, manufacturer's limitations on the car for its capacity to carry weight. It drove a little wonky, you know. It was pretty weighed down with boulders and huge trees. 
things like that. But one of the trees, obviously, I'd, I'd taken up all the space on the roof, and, and so I had to put one of the trees inside and grabbed one of the six-footers, right, and crammed it between the boys, and, and they're in the back seat with, you know, branches and sap is everywhere. This is a real family outing, and we're driving. Now, remember, I'm talking about fear and anxiety here. So we're driving, and I'm, you know, doing a good 70 miles an hour on the highway, loaded down with boulders and trees, and, and as we're cruising, I'm thinking, okay, everything's good, right? I have noticed that it's a little quiet because my wife's not talking to me at this point, and so all of a sudden, this, this silence is broken. Now, this is, to me, this is my this is the sound of, like, real fear, okay? The silence is broken. To me, like, if you can scream, you're not in a fearful situation, but then there comes this sound when even your voice is paralyzed. And, and all I can think is, you know, if a scream is being released, there's air coming out. This was kind of like this attempt to take in the air in order to scream, but it was interrupted by the paralysis of fear. So you just kind of heard, <gasps> and I thought, okay, something's wrong, right? And I'm, I say, what, what? And I look at the dash, and a spider about the size of my fist is just making his way up the dashboard. Now, you know, there are a few things that, that, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm really afraid or have any kind of phobias, but spiders are creepy, right? I mean, I think we could all agree that they're just kind of weird. And I'm watching this spider thinking like, my God, that's the biggest spider I've ever seen in my life. And he's crawling up my dashboard while I'm doing 70 miles an hour loaded down in a wonky truck. My wife can't breathe over there and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? So I just watch the spider as he crawls up to my air vent crawls up, turns around, kind of looks at me, and then just backs into it, gone forever. Now I'm thinking, okay, now I have a problem because I've got to drive home, and I'm going to turn the air conditioner on, and I'm picturing like, you know, getting like a face full of spider, and this is a real issue. But I remember that moment, you know, I ended up taking care of it. I found out a way to, to handle it, and we handled it, but I remember that moment as being like, I think that was a real terrifying moment. I remember the sound. It was weird. There's, there's, there's fear that attempts to grip us. Fear ultimately produces paralysis. People make compromised choices and decisions. There's a reason why that your enemy functions and operates in fear because it does get you to choose things you wouldn't normally choose. It causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do under circumstances that were more comfortable. So really fear is a weapon of choice for our enemy and we're going to see in the scripture why we don't have to be afraid. Now is a long list there, a long time for number one on the list. So number two, a thing we're going to find is what God is doing. God's at work doing something in your life. We're going to see what that is. A third thing we're going to find is how to always do things God's way. How to always do things God's way. I mean, I would love to apply that to my life. I'd love to always do things the way that he would have me do them, you know, whether that's verbal or, or whether it's actions. I want to do things God's way. Uh, I want to get into the word here Isaiah chapter 43. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to go ahead and find out why you never have to be afraid. Why you never have to be afraid. And we're going to see it right here in the scripture. And hopefully it, it communicates and transfers a, a, a powerful message to you as it does to me. in the, the relief that comes from being you know, a prisoner to fear and anxiety. Isaiah 43, I want to look at uh, verses 1 through 5. We're just going to start right there at the beginning, Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1, here's, here's what we, we find in the Scripture. But now this is what the Lord says, Your Creator who formed you, 
He goes on to say, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Goes on to say, I've called you out by name. You are mine. The, the rest of the passage here, we're going to come back to that, says, when you pass through waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers, they will not overtake you. You will not drown. When you walk through fire, it will not burn you, nor the flames scorch you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given another as your ransom. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored, and I love you. I want to stop right there. That might be just the first four verses, but I want to stop there. You could sit and soak on these words for, for days and never find the full depth because what's being revealed here is the measure of God's love, which is infinite. And when you take a look at this, I mean, I want to start back at verse 1 and just and take a look and, and take a uh, come away with the reason why fear really has no place in my life. I mean, when God is speaking to, to me in this passage, and he's speaking to you in this passage, he's revealing to us, don't fear, for I have redeemed you. It's a pretty amazing, you know, thought to consider. We need to find out really what redemption is and what it means. If it's something that God's done in our lives and it has this wonderful effect, I want to know everything that there is to know about it. As you continue to read in that passage, you see God says, don't be afraid for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. What an interesting thing to say. I mean, this is very possessive, right? I mean, I remember when my kids were young, when they were toddlers, the word mine was a word that you would hear often through the house. Now, oftentimes it wasn't uh, stated in a selfless kind of way. It was more selfish. It was identifying possession of property. And when we take a look at this passage of scripture, you can see that God is speaking of something that he possesses. And what he possesses is indeed my life and your life. And the reason for this is redemption. I mean, consider the word redemption and how we use it in our day-to-day -day life. Now, it's not a word that I use in my everyday vocabulary. It's become a very churchy word for me. But when I stop and I think about the word, I see it in my existence today. You want to know where I see it the most? Coupons. Right, do you cut out coupons? You ever done that? I mean, nowadays it's like online discount codes, right? So this is going to be a generational thing, I think. In fact, I, I spent some time looking for an online discount code and the internet is filled with all kinds of fake online discount codes. So I would encourage you to uh, avoid wasting your time with some of those things. But do you remember the days of paper coupons? I get them in the mail. I mean, the other day I got a whole sheet of coupons for Burger King. I couldn't care less about Burger King until I got that sheet of coupons. And I saw them and I thought, man, I want a chicken sandwich. I remember, and they're not the same as they used to be. You're going to be disappointed if you go get a chicken sandwich at Burger King. It's not what I remember as a kid, you know. But I still, I got those coupons, and I thought, this is a great thing. You know, life is good. I began to use them, and you could read at the bottom of them. It uses the word redeem. Oh, what an interesting thing, right? I mean, to me, that's a very powerful word. We use it in our songs, and we, we write it in our our scripture, it's right there, Holy Spirit-inspired redemption. In fact, it, its result is the purging of fear and anxiety. Redemption's a pretty powerful thing, and yet it's written on my Burger King coupon. Kind of funny to me. So you start to think about what that actually means. What's going on when I take that coupon and I go to Burger King? I mean, what's going on besides me eating way too much food? I mean, if it's meant to feed two people, you should probably not eat it yourself. 
but uh, one of those coupons was like, two can dine for, and I thought, I can do this. I did it, and I regretted it, shouldn't do that. So you have all these things that are going on around you, like these coupons, and in the bottom it says redeem, and when you consider what's going on, here's what's going on. I mean, in my world, I look at it, and I, I just simplify it to this. I give you this, and you give me a discount. That's really not what's happening when you are offering them that coupon, they're literally buying it back from you, and that's the fee at which they'll buy it back. That's what the word redeem means, is to buy back. So I look at what's going on here in Isaiah, and I see God is saying, hey, don't be afraid, for I have bought you back. Bought me back from what? Well, sin and corruption. I mean, when all of uh, the authority that Adam would have was given away, all of a sudden you, you have this need for, to, for redemption to be present in our lives in order for there to be restoration of the authority that we now celebrate in Jesus. And this is what redemption is. That God would buy us back and the price would be the blood of Jesus. I mean, this is a, a, a transaction that is taking place with the commodity. The commodity is the blood of Jesus. That blood was shed and spent on my behalf. I am the, the product that was purchased. And now I belong to God. His possession bought and paid for. And it's kind of interesting to let the wheels turn on that. And then I have to ask this, well, why would that result in the absence of fear and anxiety? Well, it, it does through some powerful things that are revealed in this, the scripture as you continue to read. God's saying, hey, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've purchased you. I've bought you back. You belong to me. You're mine. You're my possession and he goes on to say these things as you continue to read there. I am the Lord. I've given another as your ransom. That's Jesus. And then he reveals why. The word since. Will you just say the word since, right? Since, yeah. I mean, since is revealing kind of the purpose of, of, for this action taking place. The reason for this action taking place, right? I mean, like if you were to say, I am growing very hungry since he's preaching so long, you would be revealing, like, what's going on? You're hungry, and the reason why you're hungry, well, he just won't shut up. And you have this, this being revealed to us, and as we see in the Scripture here, God's done this powerful work of redemption that relieves us of fear. He's purchased us back, and he reveals why. There's a sense to this. I've done this since. Now look at this, and let this just sink in. Since you, who is you? It's you, not somebody else you. When you read this passage of scripture, you can take it to the bank that this is written about Y-O-U. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored, and since I love you. Let me tell you what I walk away with when I read this passage of scripture. I walk away with that I am precious, I'm honored, and I'm loved. And if I can open up my heart and my mind to receive those truths, that in the eyes of God I'm precious, I'm honored, and I'm loved, there's no room for fear and anxiety. In any situation where I might feel anxious or concerned, you get a letter in the mail, you get a phone call, you have a situation that seems to be out of your control, no matter what, to come into this reality, this truth, in the eyes of the maker of the heavens and the earth, I am precious, I am honored, and I am loved. Reality begins to bow down to the truth. There are things that we deal with that are problematic. There are things that are challenging. There are things that might even be concerning. But the truth is, no matter what, for all eternity, you are precious, you are honored, and you are loved in the eyes of your maker. 
That's something that I would even take into my prayer closet. Father, reveal to me. Let me think like this. Let me see this. Let me feel this in every aspect of my life. Let me come to know this truth that I am precious, honored, and loved in your sight. And let the results be evident to all the world. That I'd be separated from anxiety and fear. That I would, my life would transcend the worries and the cares and all of those things that would open up the door for compromise. And just one verse later, as God continues to reveal the ransom that's paid for us, he makes this statement in this passage of Scripture in verse 5, Do not fear, for I'm with you. The fact that he's with me is wonderful. The fact that he's with me and he likes me is even better. That he's with me and that he loves me and that I'm precious in his sight and that I'm honored in his sight is relieving and liberating from all of the concerns that, that the things that are in this world might overtake me and swallow me up. And when you read this passage of scripture, he reveals these things both metaphorically and in reality as he talks about the, the raging rivers won't wash over you, the fire won't burn you, you will pass through things. I love that he talks about these things because so often in Christianity, it's packaged and presented to us in a way that there will be no raging rivers or there will be no fire, but God is acknowledging both are going to exist. They just won't win. You're going to have rivers, you're going to have fire, but it's not going to overtake you. And the reason for that is you're honored and you're precious and you're loved in the eyes of God. I want to give you another passage of scripture here that continues in this. because This is going to really lay the foundation for our point this morning. From Isaiah 43. I may have a copy and paste error here. If I do, don't worry about it. It's in Isaiah God's reading, uh, God's speaking here, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, I am the Lord, the Holy One, the Creator of Israel. I am your King. And this is what the Lord says, who makes a way, a road through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who brings forward the enemies, the chariot, the horses, the armies of the mighty men, and they will all lie down together and not rise up. They've been quenched and extinguished like a wick. He goes on to say, uh, do not... Call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past, but behold, I'll do something new. And they'll spring forward. Will you not be aware of it? Question mark. And I will even make a roadway through the wilderness, rivers in the deserts, because I have given waters in the dry places and rivers in the deserts to give a drink to my chosen people, the people that I have purchased for myself. They will declare my praise. I want to reveal something that's going on here, and even if you can't turn to it because of that address, I want to just let you know that God's speaking something really uh, spectacular here. He's, he's talking about something, an example that can easily be connected to something that's happened in the past. I mean, if you look in the, the scripture in the, the book of uh, Exodus, you'll find a, a, a really powerful piece of history where God is delivering his people from captivity and bondage and slavery and leading them into the promises of God. Now, this is a representation of your life. I mean, when you give your life to Jesus and you become a believer and you, you step into Christianity, you are leaving the bondages of sin and the corruption of sin and all of the things that come with it, and you begin to function and operate and move toward the promises of God that are constantly being revealed to us in new and greater measures. It's a really wonderful story that connects directly with you and with me. 
And I love that the story is, is filled with all kinds of, of challenges because my life as a believer has been filled with a number of challenges. And when I see this, it begins to make sense. But when you see in Exodus 14, you see the people of God being called out of captivity and moving toward the promises of God, and yet everything that once kept them captive chases them. I mean, is there anything that you've ever been set free from that wanted to get its hands on you again? I can think of a few things. Things that I've been delivered from, things that I've been set free from that are constantly in hot pursuit trying to come get me. And God is revealing something really powerful here, that this isn't just a foot race and he's given us a head start, but that God is bringing us to a place where we can see something magnificent and powerful take place, all so that we can know how much he loves us. But God leads his people to a place where, where they can't advance any further, seemingly anyway. The water is present. And if they turn around and look behind them, everything they've been set free from is pursuing them, trying to get them. I've been in this spot before where you feel like you've plateaued, where you don't know what to do next and you know that you could always go back to the way you used to do things. You could always go back to the things that were de depressing oppressing, the things that were difficult and challenging, the things that were leading to destruction, they're always right behind you. But yet God brings us to this place for a purpose and a reason so that those things that are always behind us can be right in front of our face and that he can handle them once and for all. I mean, in this case, in Exodus chapter 14, you see God split the waters and everyone passes through. He makes a way where there is no way. He makes a way through the waters. And then all of the enemies are pursuing and the waters close in and the enemies are destroyed. This is more than just good reading or awesome entertainment or made for Hollywood. This is your life and my life. God brought all of this to pass for you. For you to see and know and understand that your life isn't just a foot race to outrun your enemies, but that God will bring your enemies right before your eyes and destroy them so that you can live in peace knowing that they never have a claim on you again. And in the midst of all of this, it's easy for, for things to become confusing or chaotic. You wonder what's going on. But the reality is God is leading you to this place on purpose for the result to be absolute freedom. Pretty amazing thing to ponder and consider. And then there's something that comes after this. You know, if you're reading this in Exodus, you come to chapter 15, and you'll come to something that I would encourage you to get slightly familiar with because it will be in eternity. It's called the Song of Moses, right? Now, I don't really know the tune. I'll spare you my uh, tone deafness and won't sing it for you, but the Song of Moses is written out there. Now, I remember singing bits and pieces of the Song of Moses uh, when I was growing up in church, and, you know, music was different then because music kind of moves with the, the trends of the times. And at this time, I think there was kind of a, like a pseudo-polka Judeo-Christian Boom, 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 boom. Let God arise. And everybody danced like this, you know, Pentecostal two-step. And then high heels flying everywhere. I, I never really got the dance down, but people would do that, and it was really awesome and a lot of fun. And all the songs had that same beats. They just flow from one song to the next song to the next song. But I remember singing a song that went like this. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. 
Yeah, I've never been chased by anyone on horseback. But I tell you, that song is powerful to me. There are times that I'll be driving in my truck dealing with things that are weighing me down, that have me thinking compromised thoughts, and those words will come out of my mouth. Though none of my enemies have ever been riding on chariots, I can still sing today the song of Moses. I will sing to you, Lord, for you have brought victory into my life. And all of my enemies, all of my enemies have been cast into the sea. Everything that you did for the people of Israel, everything that you did for Moses, everything that you did that was recorded was more than just for me to have good entertainment and solid reading. It's not just a piece of history that happened once upon a time, but you're doing it here and now in my life. I will sing unto the Lord, for you have triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. Interesting that we'll sing that song in eternity. I don't know if we'll sing every word that's recorded there in Exodus 15, but I can tell you this, unless they have like a song show with projectors on it, I don't know if many Christians are going to know the words. But I would like to think that we might be the exception where we look at that and that song becomes a part of our life. Even if I can't sing every word to it, I understand the song that's being declared. And in unison, I can stand and sing in agreement, God, not only have you just delivered me from captivity, but you have destroyed my oppressor. You have taken the enemy that once held me captive, and you have relieved me of the stress and anxiety that they could ever take me captive again. You've wiped them out before my eyes. And I love that this passage of Scripture says uh, what it says here, because I, I think it's encouraging to understand that God is doing this here and now today. I, I want to go back to the passage here that we were reading from Isaiah. It says, you know, I'm the Lord, the one that makes a way in the sea. Well, we understand that this is, you know, from the book of Exodus. We understand the Israelites and the Red Sea and the Pharaoh and chariots and his armies and all of those things. But then he goes on to say this. Don't call to mind former things or ponder things from the past. Behold, I will do something new. I think something is, is really worth noting here when we read that, that God is speaking and he's given this example from the past, not as a once upon a time, but he's saying, guys, pay attention to this. This was meant to be symbolic for everything that I'm going to do in your life here and now. I'm going to speak about the horse and the rider being thrown into the sea. I'm going to speak about a way being made where there is no way. I'm going to speak about that deliverance, but don't think about the past Rather, no, I'm going to do it today. Something new. Don't ponder history, but consider your moment right here and right now so that we all can share in the song of Moses, not just those who were there thousands of years ago, but every saint alive and breathing today can sing, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, and the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. Don't just think about history but I'll do something new. This is really the definition of our life. I mean, Psalm 50:15 declares this. It says, I, I will uh, call upon you in my day of trouble. You will rescue me and I will honor you. This is really the definition of my life. That there will be trials and tribulations and hardships and difficulties, but I can call on the Lord and he can bring his deliverance. He can make a way where there seems to be no way and the result will be praise and celebration. And why would he do this? Because he has redeemed me. And why has he redeemed me? Because I'm precious in his eyes. I'm honored in his eyes and I'm loved by him. 
I want to, to talk for a moment uh, as we, we get to the point, and we won't take long to do this, about the way that God makes. I mean, when, when you come to a point where you can't see where that victory is going to come from, this is really the point where God is glorified. And I honestly believe wholeheartedly that he does this intentionally and on purpose. I mean, God doesn't do anything outside of intent or purpose. But I think that there's something about this that's going to be strategic to every individual. People have different measures. We were talking about some of this stuff before the, the service started, and it was a bit random, but that everyone's just different. I once offered a, a handwriting sample to a guy who did an evaluation on it, and he gave me his evaluation. I didn't care much for his evaluation, but he was right. I mean, he was right. There are just things that don't bother me, you know. And what's really funny is I'm married to the total opposite. We get a letter in the mail, and, man, she wants to talk about it. I'm like, it'll work out, you know. I don't care about stuff like that. You can print it on red paper. Pfft, doesn't bother me, any, you know. Those things are, are interesting things to see how people handle stuff differently. So when God is ministering to you, it's going to be different than how he ministers to me. When God ministers to me, it's going to be different to how he ministers to you because he's going to minister to you in the way in which you need it. And when we see this, that just means to me that these ways are all going to manifest differently. We come to, to different points where we can see victory and breakthrough, and then it, it might take more for someone to come to the point where they can't see it. And I really believe God brings us to that point where we can't see it because that's really the point where faith is activated, right? Faith being the, the evidence of things uh, hoped for, the, the, the things that are unseen. I mean, it, you can't see it. And in this place, we come to a, a point where we see God make this way come to pass. Where it was in the example given in history was beside uh, the ocean or the, the sea where the highway just stopped. How are we going to get across this? And if we turn around and go back, it's not going to be good. God brings you to these places on purpose so he can display his love and his affection for you so that he can reveal to you the degree of how you are precious and the degree to which you are honored and the degree to which you are loved, which is absolutely infinite. So as we consider the ways that God operates, I think it's important to consider this because this will be unique to the reader. How many yous do we have in the room here? I mean, pretty small head count this morning, but every one of you is a you. All individuals. And this passage of scripture is very much addressing you. If you want to take it down for your notes, it's Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, specifically verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> I want to turn there so that I don't misread it. And if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn there as well. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8, God is speaking, and he's speaking to every you in the room. He says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Well, every your in the room has their own thoughts and ways. I might encounter an issue and it doesn't bother me one bit. That same issue might confront my wife and it terrifies her. Every your in the room is going to be different. Every one of us has different thoughts and different ways. 
But yet, no matter what, God has, has made it very clear, no matter what your personality type, no matter what your capacity, no matter how tough you are mentally or how much experience you have in life, no matter what, God's ways and his thoughts are always going to be higher than every one of ours, which is a better way of saying than all of the you's. Every you in this room, no matter how visionary, no matter how courageous, no matter what, God's ways, his thoughts, they're above ours. And it brings me to a point where I now realize something, no matter what I face or no matter what I deal with, I need to find God's ways and God's thoughts. Now, this can be a challenge for me because I'm a bit narcissistic. I mean, I'm really given to love my opinion. It's, it's very natural for me to think I'm right. And so when we encounter trouble or encounter issues, it's very easy for me to step up and think that I'm bringing the solution. But I think it's very important for every you to come to the point where they realize no matter how strong, no matter how bold, no matter what kind of success stories we have on our resume bringing us to this point, God's got a way. And it's above my way. He's got thoughts on the issues. And they're above my thoughts. Above my thoughts because they're not limited by my thinking. They're not limited by things like time or perspective, history or experience. This needs to open the door for us to begin to pursue God's thoughts and His ways, no matter what. I mean, I can come up with a dozen solutions for any scenario that gets handed to me, but will I take the time and just say, God, you know, though I can come up with a dozen solutions, I'd like to know your thoughts. and I'd like to see your ways. Pretty interesting thing to introduce into our, our prayer life, and God's very interested in introducing us to His way. We'll see that in the Scripture in a moment. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here to reveal some of the, the results of taking this and, and embracing it and pursuing God's way in our lives. It, it results in wonderful things. Here's one from the Psalm. Psalm 77 reveals the following. Your way, O God, is holy. That means it's going to be without sin or corruption. That's a good start, right? I think that's a great start. That's why I want to do it God's way. My way of handling a debt issue might involve robbing a bank, okay? Bad idea. My wife's not thinking that's funny. I promise you I don't have any plans to rob a bank. I did work at a bank one time, and they came up a little short on cash after I quit. That probably put my name on an FBI watch list. And then they got robbed, and then they got robbed again. And I think they have probably checked into me. I promise you I didn't do it. It's all good. Uh, we'll, we'll go, we'll separate from the bank robbery stuff now. Uh, so you continue to read here and you see your way, God, is holy. It's pure. It's not going to be corrupt. There's a number of solutions that we have to deal with any problem that's going to have elements of corruption in it. Think about how we face, uh, uh, you know, issues of lack or issues of loss, issues of loneliness, issues of, of, of any uh, uh, area of life. There's all kinds of options out there, but they're not all holy. They're not all pure. And when we begin to indulge in the things that are impure, we begin to get the results of the impure, which is corruption and the things that come with corruption. All the things that lead to, to frustration, disappointment, separation, heartache, and, and the resulting things of corruption. God's way will always be holy. I think it's worth embracing for that sake. You continue to read here and it says, Your way, O Lord, is holy. What God is great like you? You're the God who works wonders. And you've made known your strength to your people. And by your power you have redeemed your people. There's that word again goes on to, to speak of the example that we stand on. Your way is in the sea 
Your path is in the mighty waters. Your footprint may not be known, but you lead your people like a flock, just like by the hand of Moses and Aaron. I mean, this is a psalm that's written, you know, a a, a long period of time after the exodus has taken place, but yet it's still being revealed as something God does. I love that it doesn't say you led your people, but you lead your people. You're constantly bringing us through the waters. When we can't see a path, you make a path. There is a path, though it can't be seen by us. Though the footprints are hidden, you'll reveal them and lead your people to victory. Here's a result of God's way coming to pass in our lives. Psalm 5, 8. Oh, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. I think this is a really amazing passage of Scripture. Because oftentimes Christianity is presented as some kind of a utopia. There are people in this world that really hate my guts. In fact, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Now, I'm not advocating taking sides and throwing rocks and digging trenches and having some us versus them. But what I am revealing is that everyone is not going to like me. There will be those that that have uh, uh, ill thoughts toward me or malicious thoughts that would hope for my demise or destruction. I've actually seen it pretty clear before pastoring churches. In fact, there was one instance where it was really nasty and, and people took to social media with things and it was all over an issue that was really pretty black and white. Shouldn't have been a challenge for believers. And when that issue was... Uh, brought to to people's attention, it became very divisive and people became very malicious. And I I realized at that time that the passages of Scripture that I used to just read right over and think they were just simply poetic began to mean a lot to me, and this would be one of them. I want to do things your way because I have enemies. People that want to see me fail. People that want to see me humiliated. People that want to see me impoverished. People that want to see my life brought to ruin. People that want me to to be an example that following you is error. And it's not error. So show me your way so that I can stay on it. And I love that that's how this passage ends. Make your way straight before me. Here's one from the Psalms 27. I want to read verses 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my enemies. And don't deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. I mean, I kind of already covered that. There are people that want to see Christians fail. You don't have to look very far today because it's become a, a louder voice. I don't think that it's even greater in number necessarily. It's just louder. But you see that, that, that Christianity is, is seen as this, this uh, chauvinistic or misogynistic or white supremacy or whatever you see today that's being branded on Christianity in an effort and a desire to see things fail. How come that I, I don't see headlines when pastors have church services where hundreds or thousands come to Christ, but I see a headline when a pastor has an affair? Or I see a headline when a pastor buys a new Learjet? Anything controversial, front page news. But anything that's of the kingdom, we don't talk about that. I mean, that ought to speak volumes. Here's a a passage of scripture for you about God's way uh, from the Psalms 37, 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit that which he's promised. The wicked will be cut off and you will see it. There it is right there. If you had flags, bells, and whistles, and ding, 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 that just described everything that you see 
in Exodus. At the Red Sea, the parting of the sea, you see God will make a way and then the enemy will be completely cut off. I love that God has promised this in my life. And the reason for even bringing the message this morning is because, one, I believe it's timely. We, we really never bring a message unless we believe it's what God's speaking. So I want you to feel like there's intention behind it because there is. But I, I believe that it's important for every believer to know that our life isn't just about managing our enemies, but our life is about seeing God destroy our enemies. Make a list of those enemies. Maybe it's poverty, maybe it's loneliness, maybe it's addiction. It could be any kind of addiction, chemical or, or pornography or something along those lines. It could be anything. But if you're able to make a list of your enemies, you're making a list of everything that God will draw out and swallow up in the sea. So that victory will belong to the believer. And then here's what I love about this, and I'm going to close with this. I understand that there's probably a lot of preaching to the choir going on on a morning like this morning. But I have to believe that God's speaking specifically to uh, the individual. And I want to close with this. I mentioned before on those things that we were going to look for is how to always do things God's way. I mean, it's a bit of a cheat code. But I, I want to give you this, and I want to also offer a perspective along with it. I want you to consider that, you know, you, you live thousands of years ago. Just imagine with me and... You, you were, grew up going to synagogue and you, you heard uh, the, the, uh, the Torah spoken of and, and it was, there were no Xboxes or Playstations and so you know, going to a temple was really a big part of your life and, and it made sense to you as you heard the scripture and you heard of Moses and the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea and then the, the book of Isaiah would be pulled out and you would hear of all the things that we've read today, that God will make a way when there is no way, that he has a way even in the sea where the footprints are hidden. You would have the word way, 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 way set before your eyes. And then one day, as you're standing in the crowd, you see a Hebrew man stand up, everyone hushes listening to every word that he says and he says I am the way and all of a sudden it makes sense it's not just a cute nickname it's the truth that in the midst of desperation in the midst of hopelessness where there seems to be no solution God will reveal his solution. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus stands and delivers that promise, revealing who he is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Goes on to reveal that this is the, the, the way to the Father, the way to his love, the way to his affection, the way to his provision in our lives. And I come to the conclusion that no matter what I see or deal with, when I'm wanting to do things God's ways, which are higher than my ways, when I'm wanting to, to function and operate at a level that would be supernatural and heavenly, it means following Jesus because he is the way. Not a way, but the way. Everything that you would read about in the scripture where God would deliver 
the, the, the people of God or the saints, everything that you would read that would be an example for your life and my life is setting up Jesus to stand and deliver that truth that he is the way. And when we face and deal with the things that we face and deal with, as we pursue and seek the things that God would have us do, we're seeking and pursuing the way that Jesus would do them. We look to his example. We turn to his counsel. And this is really the point to invade our prayer life. What is the way through this? God, why have you brought me to this point? Where will my enemies be consumed before my eyes that I might know your loving kindness? Where does the deliverance lie in this situation? I want to see the way. The way that reveals to me the truth. The truth that I am precious in your sight, that I'm honored in your sight, and that I'm loved by you. That results in the life, the abundant life that comes from being one and united with you. I want to see Jesus in this situation. And I want to be free from all fear and all anxiety. And I know that even though I can't see the footprints through the water, they're there. That you will part this sea before me, you will lead me to safety, and you will consume my enemies before my eyes that I never have to sleep with one eye open, never have to walk looking over my shoulder, that I'll know that you have liberated me from those who once oppressed me. It's more than just history. It's your present life, the victory that God would call us to, being absolute for his glory, not just so that we can sing our praises and love him more, but so that we can live rich and full, godly lives that bring him honor and glory, that are evangelistic in nature, where we don't find ourselves having to talk people into Christianity, but just the existence, the presence of our life inspires them to follow in the same ways that we've walked in. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I want to pray over us. The prayer being that we become more acquainted with the purpose and the presence of God's way. And no matter what, no matter what we might face, whether it's a a health issue or or a financial issue or a a physical or a, a mental issue, anything that would be an issue in our lives, that we could come to the place where our prayer life is devoted to God, I wait patiently for you to reveal your way. I don't want to make a way myself. Too great a risk for corruption. Too great a risk. But I want your way, your way that's holy, your way that leads to deliverance and victory, signs and wonders, your way that ultimately results not only in safety, but the destruction of my enemies. I'm tired of being chased. I'm tired of looking over my shoulder. I'm tired of, of fighting anxious thoughts that one day they'll catch up with me and, and I'll be led back to captivity, a slave again. But I want to cross over to safety and then I want to turn back and I want to watch your name be glorified as every one of my enemies is consumed. And I want to live that life liberated, completely free from fear and anxiety that life that brings you honor and glory, that results in celebration and worship. That's really what I want to pray for. So there where you stand, you can be in an attitude of agreement, however you choose to posture yourself. But I want to pray and ask God to do this work on our behalf.
Father, we thank you for the word. We rejoice in the history. But more than the history, we rejoice in what you would speak to us today. Free our hearts and our minds to not simply remember the past, but to see that you are doing this new right here and right now. That you are making ways where there don't seem to be ways. That you are parting seas. That you have paths laid out long before there was ever a struggle. You've made a way and established a way. His name is Jesus. And let Jesus be revealed to us in our time of need. That we would walk in the way that you've called us to walk. That we would speak the words you've called us to speak. That we would do the things that you've called us to do. And that the result would be safety and security. And let us turn to look behind us to see our enemies consumed for your glory. That we wouldn't live lives of anxiety and fear thinking one day they may return. But that you would put to rest that fear and anxiety once and for all. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes these things possible. We thank you for the victory that you brought into our lives in Jesus. We rejoice in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to stir in our hearts and our minds the ability to function and operate in your ways which are higher than ours. And let our hearts and our minds be humbled to seek your ways, to seek your thoughts in everything that we would face and deal with. And let the results be freedom. Not only safety, but the liberation from our enemies. Let new ways of thinking prevail. And let your people walk in the liberty that you've called us to walk in for your glory. We bless your name and we thank you for the way. We thank you for Jesus. And we rejoice in and through his mighty name. The very name, Yeshua. The salvation of our God. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.